You're listening to The Green Majority. Thank you so much for downloading the podcast. If you support our show and you enjoy what, we, uh, what we're doing here at uh, uh, CIUT and at The Green Majority, you can actually support us directly. Uh, we're currently looking to get in the market for some uh, camera equipment and uh, maybe uh, even get a part-time staff. Somebody actually pay to do work uh, on the show because we have uh, some exciting video projects we'd love to get at too. We just can't do it yet, but we are, we're, we're chomping at the bit to get to them. So if you like what we do, you'd like to hear more from us, please consider being a member. You can do that at patron.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash green majority Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, it's uh, Darren Kester, your host, also being your tech today, which is why we had such a brutal, brutal cutaway right there just at the end of that theme song. Uh, but I am uh, live in the studio with Sans Stefan today, which is unfortunately, you know, during the summer, Stefan finds things to do, um, you know, because he actually has a life. Uh, I'm sure he's actually working. He's just not here. Uh, but in lieu of that, we bought some, uh, brought some other friends into the studio with us uh, today uh, as well. So we're going going to be uh, hearing from a few uh, folks. In the first section, uh, we'll be hearing from uh, a new friend of mine, Bethany uh, Coogan. I have a tradition on this show of mangling people's last names, so she's nodding at me. I think I got it right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, my local artist collective uh, and... Uh, just general, I think, activist on, like, anything. Like, they're just very strongly opinionated that people shouldn't be treated badly on a wide variety of topics. Jeff and Andrea uh, as well. Uh, artists, uh, activists, uh, as well as musicians as well. Good morning uh, and good afternoon. Good evening to you, good Jeff morning. and Andrea. Good morning. Thank well. you for having us. Uh, so we're going to, what we're going to do basically is... Um, uh, because as the only professional radio person here, I will be uh, maintaining my uh, my role as as host. But what we're essentially going to do is I've I've asked you uh, to sort of take ownership for each one of our three sections. So l- listeners of the show know how the show works. We have three sections separated by two music breaks. Uh, Jeff and Andrea uh, have given us both of our music breaks again today because I defer to other people's music taste uh, to prevent our audience from having to listen to club beats, uh, which would be my choice by default. Uh, so uh, and they're also themed as well as usual. Not that there's so. anything wrong with club beats no there's just you know there's after midnight radio for that so (laughs) so i'm actually going to go last uh i have a few stories i'd like to tie together in my usual meta narrative uh making stories that don't seem immediately like they have anything to do with the environment having to do with the environment i'll be doing that at the end of the show and because of that i will also leave it slightly mysterious how i'm going to be doing that for uh uh, jeff and andrea will be going in the middle section i understand we're going to be talking about a bunch of art of course Uh, we're also going to get into recycled materials palm oil a bunch of other cool stuff as well uh but bethany Bethany is going to go first. So uh, my understanding is that we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Elizabeth May. She's in the news uh, right now uh, for a surprisingly controversial reason. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the politics of that. We'll get into that as well. Um, and we're also going to talk about mining. But I think we decided we're going to do mining second because that will tie into something that Andrea and Jeff want to talk about. So, Bethany, would you kindly uh, start us off? Uh, first of all, please introduce yourself a little bit. And then uh, please start us off a little bit on this uh, Elizabeth May story. Good morning, everyone. Um 
So my name is Bethany Keowen, actually. <laughs> so close. It wouldn't have been the show if I'd gotten it. Yeah. Absolutely right. And I'm uh, a student here in Toronto and an environmental activist as well. Um, and yeah, the first uh, kind of topic that I want to touch on is Elizabeth May potentially uh, stepping down as leader of the Green Party. And this is over a decision that was reached at a policy convention about two weeks ago now, where the m- members voted in favor of a resolution supporting uh, boycotting, divestment, and sanctions targeted at Israel. Um, so there are a lot of issues that Elizabeth May wants to be talking about with Canadians, and this, she's decided, isn't one of them. Um, so I guess it's uh, just a bit of a political hot potato that she doesn't want to touch and she's decided that unless this decision is overturned that she won't be heading the party Um, so she's actually on vacation right now uh, with some family in Nova Scotia thinking about uh, steps forward and there's set to be an emergency meeting of the party uh, early next week where they'll kind of look at ways forward Mm -hmm. And so a couple of the standout uh, details here uh, as well was, of course, that um, so the the party itself voted to back a boycott of Israel over uh, the occupation of Palestinian land. Uh, that, of course, is a it's it's almost like the go to example. I forget what that word is. Stefan brings it up. But like there's an expression for when somebody goes straight to like making a metaphor to compare something to Nazis. I feel like in Canadian or in North American politics, that's like this is the real version of that, where this is the 11 that you compare things to is, is yeah. this sort of is this issue. Uh, there's there's nobody that doesn't have a strong opinion about this, but it's very it's a very messy issue. And sort of because of that and because it's off topic, we're not going to get into debating the issue itself but uh my initial comment i'd love to know what you guys thought and and bethany will have will have more as well uh, about that is is just the idea that i'm sort of i'm sort of surprised that she's surprised that she has to like take a point on something other than the environment you are a party leader um and so while i completely sympathize with her you know that with her position of having to take an official position on this issue because it's it's basically like political arsenic for anybody mm-hmm. at the same point you're a party leader. That's kind of your job. And if you weren't ready to do that job, if you, if you didn't want to be party leader to talk about anything the other, other than the environment, I mean, her whole claim for the last decade has been, not the last decade, but you know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, has been essentially that, you know, the Green Party isn't a one-issue party. Well, she's right now she's making a really good case that it is, or at least it is as far as she's concerned. So, uh, Bethany, we'll, we'll start back with you, but I'd, l- I'd like to know what people just think about that angle. How do you feel about her taking this sort of, this way out over this issue? Well, that's definitely an interesting interesting way to look at it. Uh, Whenever I found out about the news, I kind of sided with her and I thought, yeah, this isn't an issue probably that the Green Party needs to be focusing on. Um, First of all, international relations, I would not say is uh, sort of a party strength. Um, But aside from that, this I don't see as being a fruitful conversation. And just because it's so divisive, I don't think that there is a a right side to be taken. Um, So... I suppose as someone that doesn't think in a politically strategic manner, I I definitely sided with Elizabeth um, in that this isn't the best way to sort of spend your your time talking with Canadians. Um, But as a leader, uh, I suppose you're right to say that that sometimes you need to face the hard issues, and this is one that's come up that she's not willing to deal with. Sure. Well, and I mean, the, the, I mean, look at the conversation we're having, or not we're having, but we're listening to between uh, the Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. right now, saying that you know certain people aren't you know qualified to lead. Well, you know, if she if her immediate reaction to a difficult issue is I don't want to be involved, you were asking us last year to make you the head of the country. Now, n- mm-hmm. nobody, including you, thought that was going to be true, but you were asking to be the head of the country. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I, I have to say I'm really disappointed. I mean, I could also uh, see it as a way of her trying to shift sort of the political narrative uh, by deciding that, you know, she's not going to spend her energy on this. Um, it's kind of a way of not uh, falling susceptible to these really divisive um, issues that... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that like, could sure become a distraction. Exactly. From, yeah. 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 So I obviously, I have more to say about this. I have more to say about everything. So uh, mm. why don't Jeff and Andrea jump in on this? Well, I'm not think? sure why this, why they voted on this issue at this time. I'm not clear on that. I do question, was there not an opportunity to head that um, decision and find the green angle? Mm-hmm. Well, what May said was uh, different about this was that at this convention, um, they went by quite strict rules of order, whereas normally any decision is reached by consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, so her take on it was that there was um, a unique non-opportunity to sort of discuss it and come to uh, a consensus decision. Mm-hmm. So um, barring the opportunity to uh, kind of call um, an emergency vote, um, there, she doesn't have any special power to to rescind this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so what do you guys think of my sort of uh, my angle on this, though? I mean, uh, you know, and I, I think we all sympathize with her personally. Um, but, you know, as a political figure, um, am I off base sort of wagging my finger at her or being a little bit disappointed? Or do, or do you guys do you guys do you are you sympathetic to that argument or do you uh, or do you sort of? sympathize with that angle politically that this might be well you can understand her feeling that way that this might be bad for the green party her her choice now that she's been in the position of having to, to have a position on this uh do you agree that she took the, the right way out jeff or or do you think maybe she could have handled it better um perhaps she could have handled it a little a little bit better but i have i mean i have pretty strong feelings about that i i support uh the boycott uh, and I support uh, some more conversation about it as, as uh, why why does it exist in the first place and what is Israel been perpetrating for for however long now you know it, it's been uh, a brutality on the Palestinian population mm-hmm. uh, we continue to support Israel as a state even though they are uh, continuing to bulldoze and build more settlements illegally. Someone has to make a stand towards that. And I, I think that there could be a bit more political will in the world to maybe stand up mm. to that and question that because it's a difficult conversation and it is very divisive. But, you know, somebody needs to, to support the Palestinians in, in, this, mm. in this discussion, I think, and, and more on an international level than is being done right now well and, and as much as i said i didn't want to I get into it i don't think it's i don't think it's getting off topic to say that you know it was and, and the, re, the way i'll tie this back to the environment would be is that the green party has essentially made its brand on taking on an issue that's politically unpopular but popular with um uh popular with the uh with canadians right mm-hmm. so you know there's environmental issue that's not being addressed the major partners aren't addressing it so we're going to address it Right. And we're going to take an issue that's popular with the public and and make that political. So and part of the way that you have to do that is by reframing it. Right. Everyone was either saying there's no problem or we're already dealing with it. And they said, no, we're not. They take control of that conversation, say, great, glad you're talking about it. But no, you're not dealing with it. And yes, it is a problem. And so taking control of a narrative is sort of it would seem to me to be something that they're pretty used to. And so, the, again, without sort of 
getting into the, you know, who's responsible for what and where does blame lie part of it. The thing to me that surprises me is that there seemed like a really easy, perfect opportunity to do the exact same thing, which is to say, uh, hey, okay, yes, this is a complicated issue. We do need to have more conversations about this. But it is simply false to say that, you know, be, uh, being opposing the Israel government is to be opposed to it, to Jews or Israelis. That is utter nonsense. That's obvious nonsense. And and the counterattack to that, to make that statement, to say, you know, this is complicated. We do need to talk more. But here's something people are saying, which is just fictional. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their MO. Like, that's that's their whole mm-hmm. political brand. And I don't understand why it wasn't why why her immediate reaction wasn't to do that same thing because it's her reaction on everything which is to reframe the conversation to have to to be the right thing Mm -hmm. and so i guess i was just i was surprised Mm -hmm. Uh, i was surprised because it seemed like to just use the same playbook you've already been using and just apply it to this other issue and you guys aren't you know strangers first of all you're not strangers to controversy but second of all you're not at risk of suddenly of becoming government anytime soon Mm -hmm. uh, unless something drastically changes so i just it really shocked me that they that she personally a that the party in the first place put her in this position and mm-hmm. I think that's surprising. And and secondly, okay, well, if you're going to do that, at least do it in a way that frames the conversation correctly, which was this is about the Israel government, the right wing, crazy Israel government and not the Israeli people and not Jews um, seems op- not only obvious, but easy, mm-hmm. an easy thing to do that nobody that, that surprisingly nobody is doing. Aren't you guys the guys that do that? I don't know. I guess that's why I'm so surprised because there seems like there was a really easy way to deal with this. You're right. There wasn't really uh, there was an opportunity for sure missed to reframe the conversation. And it seems like maybe her response was a little bit uh, reactionary. Um, and also she's been uh, pretty tight-lipped in her reaction, very diplomatic, um, just sort of supporting the right of people to uh, decide however they choose or to think in any direction. But she has really not touched the issue, uh, which clearly is what she doesn't want to do. But yeah, uh, it's not that they're a stranger to controversy, so it's interesting that she's uh, sort of... Yeah, stepped back from it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, I, I, as usual, I spend much more time talking about something than I intended to, and we're actually running short on the first section. So why don't you, uh, Bethany, go ahead and we'll, we'll leave it there. Maybe we come back in the bonus show if we feel like it needs sure. to be discussed more. Uh, I think we've covered it pretty good, but let's talk about mining. All right, right on. Um, so... Uh, whether or not you knew it, the seafloor is actually a treasure chest <laughs> waiting to be plundered. And uh, it's a Toronto company that is leading the charge on this. Um, so there's an article right now in the National Geographic uh, talking about um, this company called Nautilus uh, Minerals. Um, and basically, uh, they're looking to scrape the deep sea floor for... Um, Minerals, including copper, silver, uh, any valuable deposits that they might be able to get out of there. Um, And so National Geographic has just kind of presented um, what this could mean environmentally and what uh, the company stands to gain. So um, right now they've leased uh, some uh, territory off sea about 30 kilometers from Papua New Guinea. Um, They're due to do uh, a test sort of uh, mine uh, late 2016 and then the full project is set to ramp up by 2018 Um, but it's really a pretty terrifying prospect uh, because these are areas that are uh, so understudied that we can't even project what the environmental impact will be Um, and so uh, there was actually a meeting um, of the Seabed Authority in Jamaica last week. And the Seabed Authority um, is sort of a subsect of the UN, and they're in charge with uh, 
protecting the ocean and uh, coastal communities. So they're in the process of uh, drafting some guidelines that would um, oversee uh, offshore mining or underwater mining, rather, um, and that should surface in the next few weeks, but it wouldn't actually be ratified for a few years. So uh, that's a little concerning since the project is due to ramp up uh, later this year. Yeah, and the, the thing that jumped out to me, Bethany, that I think the most was the, the ghastly number at it, which was $150 trillion, uh, which is the estimated, I don't know if it was estimated accessible or, or are we talking about actually hollowing out the core of the earth? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine that they're talking about you know immediately accessible. I'm sure there's more than $150 trillion <laughs> if you scrap the entire earth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, my immediate reaction when I see hear a number that high is, okay, we're screwed. Like, we've already yeah. lost. When there's that much money, everybody will mm-hmm. sell out. Totally. Um, so, I mean, which is not to say, you know, don't be concerned about this. It does, it's, not to, it's not to say that. I'm not even, I, I don't even mean to sound as defeatist as I do, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I would recommend going immediately to damage control on this and not, mm-hmm. you know, let's try and stop them, but let's try and get it into the rules, like certain regulations about, okay, here's how you're going to do it. Because like, honestly, every government on earth is going to be foaming at the mouth for that amount exactly. of resources. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm just trying to be a realist about this. Am, am I being too harsh, Jeff? You're nodding at me, but with sort of a sad face. So no, I don't think you're being too harsh at all. I have a sad face. <laughs> um, no, go ahead. I just I have a sad face because um, I just see the number that you're talking about is just like it does spell disaster. Um, not enough people know about this. We're barely finding out about it. Uh, how long has the have the plans been underway? The, mm-hmm. How many things can we do without studying it first? How many, how many um, harms do we face after the profits already been made by by somebody? You know, like I just it's beyond my comprehension that we would go ahead with this. However, um, and accountability after too. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's even looking at the investment that's already tied up in it. So mm-hmm. this one Canadian yeah. company, and there are several um, sort of companies that are looking to do it. It's just that this one is leading the charge. Um, the first fleet of underwater uh, robots that they have, and it's a terrifying fleet. <laughs> it's basically tanks with teeth and claws, um, extraction machines, and it takes three of them um, each. Uh, each machine is worth about $185 million. So that's just initial investment. Uh, And whenever they do uh, start their first operation, again, set to be in 2018, they expect to be underwater for 30 months. So that's just sort of a window of, uh, yeah, the extraction potential that they see just on this one test site. And they have, I think, 19 others scouted out. And that's one company. Uh, So, yeah. So scary. Exactly. There was a a comment, one of my favorite comments on the article was, a rare case in which we've figured out a way to destroy entire ecosystems before finding a way to study, catalog, or even visit them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And exactly. one of the things they mentioned was the was one of the key areas was near the hot water vents, which exactly. is also where a whole bunch of really cool species over the last decade have been discovered mm-hmm. as, you know, the things being able to survive in million degree temperature or whatnot. I mean, mm-hmm. it's an absolute treasure trove. So I'll, I'll, we will have to leave it there for the first section, but I will amend my first statement just so not freak people out too much before you go to our music break, <laughs> uh, was that I, I, I think that under our current system, there's no way to put a Band-Aid on that. Um, it, the, only, uh, the only way to do it is either try and do, you know, triage afterwards uh, about limiting the damage, trying to force them to clean up. You know how much of that hundred, you know, one point or one hundred fifty trillion can we recoup to deal with the damage? I mean, that's that's damage control. That's triage. Hey, does that not sound great? Here's an idea. Let's change the system. 
Let's do it. All right. So with that, I'm actually going to go to our music break here, and then I'm, we're not going to say anything. We're going to play it. Jeff and Andrea have got control over the next section. They will. Uh, they've chosen both of our music breaks today. They will introduce uh, this artist after the break, and then also pre-introduce our next uh, thing at the end of their section. So this is sort of the the arts and music, arts and music section coming up, starting in just one second. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Green Majority. You're listening to Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM here live in Toronto or possibly on one of our wonderful and very appreciated radio podcast syndicates all the way across the country, now into the United States as well. Our international podcast listeners uh, all over the world. We've actually been getting some hits, uh, including Rio. There's people at, at the Olympics right now listening to the Green Majority Radio program. That's pretty cool. Uh, As well as our friends, our local friends here at Rabble.ca. So if you uh, enjoy the show and you haven't had enough and you want to hear uh, what we're like when we don't have to obey CRTC rules, there's also a bonus show as well. So listen to the end of the show. Uh, Andrea and Jeff have to run, unfortunately, but uh, Bethany and I will have some fun as well. But without any other delay, Jeff and Andrea, please, please, by all means, uh, start by explaining what we were just listening to. Thank you, Darren, and thank you for having us. Um, Jeff Donor and I, Andrea Battersby, are representing Bureau of Power and Light today, our art collective based here in Toronto. Um, the music we just heard was from Tanya Tagak. She is an amazing Inuit uh, artist here in Canada. Um, the track was called Fracking. Um, it is uh, her translation of the Earth's Cries of Pains, uh, as it is subjected to hydraulic fracturing. Um, you can tell it's pretty emotional. Uh, she's an amazing artist, and um, this track is from her 2014 Polaris Music Prize winning album, Animism. Um, and it's a great, this track is a great example of um, eco art. Uh, it uh, allows us to feel closer to the environment um, and uh, she's translating um, translating her activism uh, artistically for the rest of us to, to, to bring the rest of us into it um, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd like to uh, focus a little bit now on eco art and what that what that is even um, maybe yeah um because we are artists and uh, our, our collective is uh, – we, we seek to aim to raise awareness about issues around the world and, and something in particular is uh, in the environment and finding other ways in, of engagement to environmental issues. Um, and we, we figure art, art is a really effectual point of contact for people to learn about issues in the world. Um, there's a really cool website that you can check out called greenmuseum.org, and uh, it has a com- pretty comprehensive list of artists around the world who deal specifically with environmental art. Um, and on their website, uh, just to give a quick little thing before we go into a couple of the artists that we want to feature, um, what is environmental art? Uh, according to their website, uh, it, it's – Environmental art informs and interprets nature and its processes, educates us about environmental problems, is concerned with environmental forces and materials, creating artworks affected or powered by wind, water, lightning, or even earthquakes, and reimagines our relationship with nature. So it gives us a a way to emotionally connect with our environment, which is something that I think is maybe missing in a lot of the dialogue with the environment, that people know about issues. They say, yeah, yeah, we know about fracking. Yeah, we know about... um, 
polluting waterways, and we know about um, cancer cancer rates around uh, industrial uh, properties. But the, I find that if you don't have that emotional connection, it might not drive you to go further or to explore that or to really connect with what those issues are. So for art, w- w- in musically visual art, um, it's a powerful way to do that, to create an emotional connection. So now you kind of feel something. So, oh, now I get it. You know, if I hear a story, if I'm at a storytelling event and I hear someone's personal account of how this pollution is affecting their family, now I have an emotional connection. Or if I see a sculpture, if I hear a tune, like that one that we just heard uh, of Tanya's uh, I- interpretation of what the earth would sound like or it sounds like trying because of fracking, then you, you have another point of contact to deal with that or connect with that particular issue. Um, when... We, we had the pleasure in the last month of connecting with an artist, a uh, Tibetan contemporary artist, Tashi Norbu. Uh, we co-produced his exhibition called Time Travelers, the Art of Tashi Norbu, that took place at Gallery 1313 in, uh, in August. And Tashi is an incredible uh, artist who is exploring new ways of envisioning what Tibetan art is. And one thing that he did in particular... Uh, that links to deforestation in Tibet and uh, the palm oil industry and deforestation there. Uh, As he designed and installed, it's actually being installed um, next week, I believe. Yeah, I think it's opening in the next few days. Yeah, it's in Chicago. It's a giant 15-foot-high statue of Buddha, and it's in the Grant Park uh, Conservancy, uh, Grant Park Skate Park, I should say. Uh, And it's made entirely of recycled and reclaimed wood. And what he wants to do with this sculpture is, first of all, have a couple really cool rails on it to be able to use your board on, which is kind of cool. Um, but beyond that, he wants to call attention to deforestation and the palm oil industry. And um, it, palm oil indus- uh, deforestation is uh, it's a pretty big deal. Um, if I'm just looking at uh, a website here, the the this is the Union of Concerned Scientists, palm oil and global warming, and the connections in that. Um, current methods of palm oil production often cause the destruction of carbon-rich forests and peatlands. Uh, deforestation and peatland drainage occur to make way for oil palm plantations. The sequestered carbon is released into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, contributing to global warming. Uh, as demand for palm oil increases, tropical forests and peatlands and the people and species they rely on are put at risk. Um, this, if certain products, like what products are, are is palm oil in? Uh, this lipstick, pizza dough, instant noodle, champagne, or sh- shampoo, not champagne. That would be an interesting <laughs> champagne. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> it's in chocolate. It's in margarine, detergent, ice cream, cookies, biodiesel. It's in soap. It's in package. But it's in a lot of... It's All your a, highly processed... Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's in a lot of things. Things, it um, like. Malaysia and Indonesia are two uh, hot spots for for this and the deforestation is rampant there as as it is in in the Amazon basin as it is in the Congo uh as well um so unfortunately we see like profits over the environment again in this situation yeah um and the profits are kind of at the cost of our health as well because we see all these products that have palm oil um they're they're heavily packaged in plastic and they are 
um, you know, they contain synthetics that are just not healthy for us in, in a multitude of ways that we're learning more and more about. Um, so maybe not all, not saying that all palm oil is bad, but um, potentially like the way we are using it and the land we are giving up for it is just harmful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and again, it's 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 not the product, right? It's not. There's nothing inherently wrong. With it's the palm process, oil. right? It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's the process, and it's the complete lack of regard for the environment. Exactly. Not to mention for uh, villages that are displaced uh, around the area and animals, um, animal life. Uh, you know, it, it's it's pretty hor- horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so this example, this Buddha, this giant Buddha. You know, it's a work of art, and it's a, you go down to the skate park. In Chicago, you see this giant Buddha. You're drawn to that, of course, because it's this magnificent work of art. But then you then you gain some insight. Not only is it is a, a, a wicked work of art, uh, it's it has information with it that you can now read about the deforestation and uh, the palm oil industry. Deforestation in Tibet too, which he speaks on with this statue as well. You know, now you now you leave that park and now you've learned something because of a work of art. That in your daily uh, going about your day, you now have this point of contact that is it is interjected itself into your into your routine, which is what I love about art and what art is so powerful at doing is creating that interjection into your life to say, hey, you know, let's make you think differently or let's make you aware of something that maybe you weren't before and hopefully maybe you will go and explore that or at the very least you are now a bit more aware of what's going on in the world mm-hmm. um the deforestation in tibet too which uh is mainly based more around mining um which is a huge huge thing in in um especially in eastern tibet where uh, they're closer to the borders with uh china um i say this as as if Ch- tibet were independent which it should be um um, and, and there's a lot of illegal mining going on in, in, in Tibet. So the, the, that, that's a horrible thing just to think about that. But when you think because it's illegal, there's no assessments done. There's no paperwork. There's no way of gauging the environmental destruction or damage because there's no one doing it. Um, and uh, we know that no foreign journalists are allowed in Tibet by the Chinese Communist government. Um, yeah, so which is a no huge one... red flag right there. So who who is even looking at what the environmental destruction is? Um, Greenpeace has done um, a study, but um, from how far away? <laughs> well, you know, and, journal, journalists, environmental monitors are are, are kind of like uh, uh, you they've know, got like, their satellites. Uh, they've got their no, no. Well, it's, I mean, they're kind of like the the hall monitors at, a, at yeah. like a frat party. Like nobody wants them. The party's exactly. going to be better without them. Just keep them out of here, yeah. right? Exactly. Or a, or a Donald Trump press conference, right? Nobody right. wants them yeah. here. <laughs> and you know, it's really obviously it's not in a company's best interest uh, monetarily. To spend money on these, on the so obviously companies are probably going to try to find their own way around have, being able to have to have a, these assessments in the first place. Yeah. When you it takes even, forever too, right? Like, yeah, you can't even talk about any of these issues too. I mean, we won't spend any time on it, but I just sort of as we're passing by, I have to mm-hmm. you know slap the branch that uh, you know this is also uh, uh, regulation tourism, right? So they're not mm-hmm. doing this in 
to, uh, Tibet or anywhere else because or Malaysia or wherever it might be because that's the best place you know to to grow this market. It's because that's where that's a place where it can be grown that has the the lowest regulation, so it can be done the cost the lowest. And if they were forced to say, well, okay, well, let's force them to to bring it back to the U.S. for instance, it wouldn't happen because it's it's just not a viable product. It wouldn't be in everything if they had to produce it in the U.S. Yep. It's only in everything because it's cheap, and it's only cheap because of regulation tourism. Right. Exactly. Yep. Um, there's in another couple topics too. There's uh, in in regards to environmental art. Um, I did mention the Green Museum. Uh, was it greenmuseum.org? Definitely check that out because it's such a great uh, it's such a great place to look at for uh, to refer to more environmental arts. And you know what? There's a lot of artists that are focused on the environment and i would love to come back and do another segment where we can focus and highlight on some more of these artists because worldwide there's a lot of artists that are dedicating their their career to the environment and um one in particular i'll just say real quick is uh in vancouver actually coming up i think it's this weekend uh is the vine arts festival and the vine arts festivals is vancouver's newest public eco arts festival it's a no fee community-oriented event where artists, performers, and audiences deepen their connections to each other on the beautiful Coast Salish landscape with an animated celebration of environmentally inspired art and performance. So that should be a cool thing if you're out in the uh, Vancouver area. That's really exciting, and it looks like it's their second go at it. So Mm -hmm. this is the second time they've done it. And um, in 2014, uh, Jeff and I were actually lucky enough to take part a little bit in the uh, Carbon 14 Art Festival here mm-hmm. in Toronto, um, put on by Cape Farewell, which uh, is a great organization putting together scientists and artists to uh, tell us stories in new ways and, and uh, translate scientific um, knowledge about climate change through art. That's what Car- Cape Farewell does. So Carbon 14 was an art um, festival here in Toronto that uh, centered around an exhibition at the ROM of uh, many artists. We saw some eye-opening stuff there um, that included off-site, um, off-site programming. Uh, we had the great fortune to see Tanya Tagak uh, mm-hmm. perform at that festival, so <laughs> you can tell we're fans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, And that was the first environmentally-based art festival in the world apparently that was in 2014 so now we just discovered this vines art festival and they're having their second year um and we just uh are love to cheer them on you know and wish them really wish them well and i have to say i'm a little shocked that it was the first one of its kind because Mm. uh it just seems like there's so many artists that are doing so many amazing things that are focused on the environment that this should be happening all the time and Mm. and this is something that we aim to move forward to do is to work on producing more uh installations and art that is geared towards the environment and collaborating with people like yourself and Mm. um other environmental activists to find and create more engaging points of uh, of of contact to these issues and create more emotional connection i think that's the key right Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. it's emotionally connecting people with the issues so that they feel something that Mm -hmm. there's something there right and and art such a powerful way to do that 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that as a new way of sort of approaching your activism. Um, sometimes it feels a little futile or like you're speaking to the crowd when you're yeah. just having discussions, which of course is important. But mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of channeling that sort of energy into art um, in unconventional spaces and yeah, maybe making people have uh, more of a maybe personal or a guttural connection. And um, a positive spin too, right? Like, exactly. I mean, when we talk about the environment, it's always pretty, you know, corporations bad, uh, pollution bad, this is horrible, this mm-hmm. is doing – and it's true. All these things are true. But you couldn't pump, have the tendency to kind of maybe push people away a little bit mm-hmm. with, with because it can become very negative. I think art is a way of celebrating life, raising awareness about these issues, but also – celebrating that we can do something about it and uh we it, it, it balancing that all of those bad things with a more positive context mm-hmm. to it i think it yeah. would be more engaging it feels like people. a hopeful kind of approach. yeah it's yeah. hopeful yeah. and and f- so you know we can preach to the choir and they already know but we also we need more allies we need people who maybe aren't as connected to become more connected and I think if it's more positive and looking at that in that context, you're more likely to gain more friends and more more allyship. I think yeah. mm-hmm. is allyship. Yeah, and we want awareness <laughs> yeah. to equal action. That's what we're going for. Yes, and awesome. and action. Yeah, awareness and and of course action is ultimate. So, all right. Well, I'm, we're we're running tight on time. We have just a just a minute left. I want to give you guys a chance to introduce the next song as well. But just before we get that, Brit, uh, Bethany, I'm really glad you uh, brought that up. I was thinking actually, I was having the very same thought about it, and the the angle that my brain took as well is that you know on this show um you may not know it if the only way you know me is as a listener of the show because i take a very cerebral approach but i'm actually a very very emotional person and people that know me will will say that and you i i think most people could see that that's sort of what drives me to do this show is if i didn't Mm. if it was just a cerebral interest i would have lost you know i would have gotten bored a long time ago i have a very short attendance (laughs) bit believe me it would have taken five seconds if it was just that but i have a very deep emotional that's why i get so emotional but my arguments the way that i the way that i advocate for this stuff is is always very cerebral i try and be logical um you know i I remember driving my mother crazy and her you know telling me i should be a lawyer but she didn't mean it like a compliment it was (laughs) like a you know so like that's just how i approach like things but the thing is like you know there's that i'm i'm reminded and i try and remind remind myself frequently of that saying that you can't reason someone out of a position they didn't reason themselves into mm-hmm. right yeah. and so there mm-hmm. are certain types of people that no matter how good at i am you know at, at you know talking or just making convincing sounding arguments mm-hmm. um it's it's just not going to reach some people right. and i think one of the but they might hear that one powerful tune yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, now I get it. You know, when I, What I think is so interesting about that is that sort of the, the effectiveness when I am effective, the effectiveness of my arguments are based on the fact that I can clearly sort of point out, you know, point A, point B, you know, A plus B equals C. It's, it's about it's, – it's tautology. It's, you're trying to reduce an, the, the object of any argument uh, from a theoretical point of view to get nerdy about mm-hmm. arguments for a second uh, is to create an argument that is self-evident, right? You, you reduce it down to its component parts such to the point that, the, that it cannot be resisted because it is, it is, you're simply stating blue equals equals blue that's sort of that that's sort of a tautology you're trying to reduce an effective argument is trying to be reduced down to that but it's it also requires somebody to sort of follow along with your thinking patterns and the interesting thing about art and that was the reaction that i had because i didn't hear that so i never played it when you guys sent me that song i never played it so i was just i heard it for the first time that the audience did uh, anyone that wasn't familiar with it and it was sort of like it's sort of you'll get what you get from it right so it's not 
I'm not someone saying something and then I'm saying, well, here's why you're wrong. It's like you're showing someone an image or you're giving them a sound. You're, 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 you're poking them right in their emotion button and how mm-hmm. they respond to it is up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not always be effective and it may, you may, they may not always, you know, think about the thing you wanted them to think about, but you are in fact making them think. Mm-hmm. And it's a way and that react I think too, like even, think if, they, react, even yeah. if they're reacting, Oh, I hate this or that. You know, that yeah. right, you're, you're still connecting, you're connecting on an emotional level or, you know. Yeah, that. and it has, it has this way of going around people's sort of uh, ideological defenses, which are geared towards deferring or diffusing or ignoring, you know, the type of arguments that I tend to make, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, please do join us more often because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's, you know, 20% of the audience that I'm just, I have zero effectiveness <laughs> on. Uh, it's probably the 20% that isn't a podcast listener and just bumps onto the radio show randomly and yeah. probably a good portion of those people that send me angry emails, but still, maybe, <laughs> maybe you know, maybe, maybe some music will reach them. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, uh, just before you go, I, we, we do. We would love to come back, and we would love to actually focus on um, First Nations artists here in Canada uh, because they're on the front lines and close close to these issues. And I think that, that it's worth the uh, it's worth the the highlight. So. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we will definitely have you back. And, uh, and of course, you're not going anywhere yet. You'll stick around. You may have some mm-hmm. stuff to say about my, my section. But Absolutely. without further ado, please interview this song and we'll go right to it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So here's another <clears> – <throat> here's a track from um, an Aboriginal artist, uh, Chris Dirksen. Uh, she's an amazing uh, cellist and composer. Um, her 2016 album was uh, Juno-nominated uh, called Orchestral Powwow. Um, and she's what she's so uh, amazing at is braiding together traditional and contemporary um, training and sounds. And uh, she's working with um, Tribal Spirit, which is a powwow label, the same label that a tribe called Red works with. So we know that she's working with some really quality material and amazing artists. It's a collaborative album. And uh, I think we're going to hear our track from it right now. Here's Chris Dirksen from the album Orchestral Powwow. You're listening to CIUT 89.5. <laughs> We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Might I add, is there anywhere else where you'd be hearing such interesting uh, Canadian music, uh, such uh, uh, thought and emotional provoking music, interspaced by completely cerebral arguments from the <laughs> nowhere, I tell you, nowhere. This is the one and only show for that. <laughs> Independent radio, yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, uh, and, uh, the, you know, the, the hallmark of a lack of a paid producer uh, no doubt. So uh, we're now after uh, you know making a, a passing attempt at at, uh, uh, at making um, you know minimizing or, or at least uh, putting into context the minimal or or limits of the effectiveness of a cerebral argument. I'm now going to go on to make several cerebral arguments. Uh, so the first thing that jumped out at me was a story that uh, may not, uh, as usual, and this is usually the ones I like talking about, may not have an obvious environment angle. But believe me, I'm going to make one. Some of you may uh, have heard uh, that the Department of Justice in the United States. Uh, recently, uh, I, I'm a bit fuzzy on the details, and we're not going to go too far into them just because it, it's not relevant for what I want to talk about. But uh, basically, it wasn't even a ton of prisons, but a bunch of uh, privately owned uh, prisons, so uh, corporations that run correctional, uh, quote-unquote correctional institutions, um, have been uh, uh, are going to be phased out uh, in the United States. And the, the reason why... And the lesson that should be but will not be learned uh, is why I want to talk about it. So uh, what was happening – so we're all very familiar with this whole idea. Right-wing parties the world round love to take the idea that privatization is the way because government is inefficient and wasteful and 
corporations and government or blah, 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 will be more efficient. We'll save money and blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? It wasn't. Uh, so they they're, they're, they were providing less services, worse care, uh, increased risk to prisoners and to staff uh, at a higher cost. Uh, and eventually, and, you know, apparently they couldn't bribe enough people uh, to get this to stay through. So it was yanked. So the reason I wanted to bring it up and we don't need to, we're not going to go on for it for too long. Although if someone wants to jump in with a thought, please do. Uh, but was just the idea that at least one we've got one. I believe me, I could get more. But we have one in the current headlines uh, right now of a case shocking. <gasps> That corporations aren't better than governments sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to have a really quick sort of comment slash maybe conversation about the idea that, you know, you know, we just culturally have to get over this idea that that like that's a fiction and it's a fiction everywhere that, you know, governments are by definition wasteful and that corporations, you know, privatizing stuff does stuff better. It's just not true. This is just today's example of it. And to have a conversation around uh, what sort of the types of things, uh, the, the type of conversation that Bernie Sanders was starting uh, in the United States. Uh, about the idea that there, you know, this isn't how he would have phrased it, but this is how I'll rephrase it, which was, yes, cor- you know, companies exist for a thing. I do not think that we should live in, in you know, uh, our own version of communist China. But it's not that simple. And there's not just it's not just American style capitalism or Chinese style, uh, uh, you know, um, why am I blanking on communism? <laughs> communism. Com- thank communist you. Capitalism. I kept wanting to say capitalism. Yes. <laughs> well, it, 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 they are a yeah. f- funny mix of both. Yeah. And that is so. Uh, what we what we need to do is like it's really simple. Uh, is to just like have like conversations about you know there are certain types of things that are more appropriate. Uh, and in the public interest to have run by people who do not have a financial incentive in maximizing profit, profit being the amount you can skim off the person using that service that does not go to providing that service. So profit is the magical golden word in our society. And I think that in many cases, it should be a dirty word. Uh, I do not think that people should profit off of medical care. I do not think that people should profit off of jailing people. I do not think that people should profit off of all sorts of stuff. I don't think that there should be a firefighter industrial complex. I don't think war should be privatized. All these things are things we don't want. When we do need them, we do want them done to a certain level of quality, more important than the cost that they cost because of the societal benefits they have. And I think we just need to have a really start having a really honest conversation about uh, hey, this is a lie. Like, like coming back to the beginning of the show, we'll bring it full circle to, to my criticism of Elizabeth May on that first issue, which was, you know, don't let the other side control the message. It isn't true that corporations are better at this stuff and stop letting them say that it is and then having an argument about this. Is government inefficient and waste money? Yes, uh, absolutely. You know what the solution to that is? Find ways to change the incentives to make government more efficient, not give it away to someone else who has a has an has an incentive to you know strip as much money out of the system as possible i don't make a lot of youtube comments and this is the last thing i'll say and i'll throw throw it out to you guys i don't make a lot of youtube comments but i i read them because sometimes i apparently i'm a masochist um and i occasionally comment usually only when i think i can make a a cogent point and be snarky and sarcastic at the same time in like you know twitter length that's the only time I, i generally do it and this comment got so many I'm still it's like a year and a half later and I'm still getting people likes likes on the same comment and it was actually on a story uh, I forget who it was it was probably one of the YouTube people I watched like Secular Talker or TYT or something like that and it was on a it was a it was a story on um, 
Oh, ooh, ooh. Uh, why I'm, I'm just my brain's like Swiss cheese today. Uh, what are the uh, libertarians? Right? It was an it was an argument about libertarians and and blah blah blah. And you know the government's so corrupt and we know all this freedom and government is sort of by definition it, government equals equal uh, evil uh, just by sort of definition. And the comment I made was I don't understand why people who can so be so fervently and and mouth foamingly suspicious of government can be so blindly eager to give it to people whose motive is not to be lazy but to to rob you for as much money as possible. Yeah, they both have problems, but do you really if you have to trust two of them and we assume that there's no way to resolve, to reform either system are you you actually telling me that the one that has an incentive to rob you you prefer than the one that just has an incentive to be lazy i don't get it comments please hmm. <laughs> <laughs> bethany you look like you're on the edge of saying something there what are you thinking i mean yeah i'm thinking about it i i feel lucky that we're a little bit insulated from that climate i think in canada i feel like it's a bit of a different situation uh it definitely plays out in different ways, but it's Absolutely. very much here. Yeah, uh, but in terms of being protected from privatization, I think that there is a little bit more um, logical thought happening, or at least uh, more of a communal appreciation for um, you know public ownership and. Uh, not deferring to corporations, which absolutely have an interest in making profit. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, and, and and that's sort of the that's sort of the thing too. And 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 I'm as usual, I'm all over the place here with with thoughts. But I mean, that, to, to bring it back again to the thing we're talking about the the Green Party at the beginning, this is another case too where people will go, you know, well, vote. I'm a liberal voter, or I'm a. This is another one of my wheel holes is about people identifying or or you know personally identifying or, or declaring personal allegiance with political parties. You're fools, you're fools, and I don't care if you vote conservative, liberal, NDP, or the Green Party. You're a fool if you declare your political allegiance because what you're saying is I will support you no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Now they'll, they'll claim if pressed that's not true, but they do. They vote that way, right? And so this is what happens. Like right now, we have a liberal go- liberal government in Ontario that just got rid of privatized Hydro One, right? Uh, that was a terrible idea. Um, does that mean the liberals are evil? No. But does the fact that I like other stuff the liberals do mean that I'm going to let Elizabeth? Uh, um, I'm just full of Swiss cheese. Help me out here. <laughs> Kathleen Wynn. Why, yes, why did I want to say Elizabeth May again? <laughs> Kathleen Wynn, thank you. You guys are really helping me out today. Um, does, it, does that mean that I think that Kathleen Wynn should be given a pass on other stuff? No, of course not. If you screw up, you screw up. And it has nothing to do with party you're from. And I just, I, I beg of you, listener, please, please stop. Vote however you're going to vote, but please stop declaring yourself like a supporter of a certain party because that's just how we get run around in circles i don't know it makes me mm-hmm. it makes me as if mental. it's not a fluid thing as if you're not yeah. open to ever reconsidering another party well, i've often is. thought that a, a type of uh, voter reform that would be really interesting is just having a ballot uh, a ballot rather where you had to uh, choose your policy platforms and there would be no uh, party attached to it mm. <laughs> and to see what the results of that would look like interesting mm-hmm. yeah we've we've um We've talked about a sort of alternate government structures on on the on the program before. I, I've proposed similar things to that actually uh, in the past. The only sort of logistical uh, issue with something like that is it would obviously require fundamentally rewriting our constitution. <laughs> so it's unlikely. But I, but I loved I love daydreaming about stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it's it's frustrating that it requires a daydream. But you know, <laughs> maybe an app or something. Yeah. Start it started as a game, and then <laughs> yeah. What do you What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, it sounds like a PhD uh, project <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or or a good game, but. 
So the the other thing that sort of ties into that as well is the uh, and and feel free to backtrack if if I inspire a thought on the on the last story. But the, another one coming out right now, of course, is the uh, Hillary uh, Clinton, uh, who has uh, was originally for the TPP, uh, the Trans Pacific Partnership. Then Bernie Sanders forced her to say that she was against the TPP. She's now still still claiming to be against it. But two devastating things have come to light, making it painfully obvious that she's full of it on that issue one of them being that she appointed uh, an extremely corporatist uh, person who's very been very loudly in support of the tpp as somebody basically in a position to you know be in charge of that file um, so that's one signal to all the donors that hey don't worry we got your back we'll backflip as soon as we got this thing locked up uh, and the second one was that was another uh, sort of like close like personal uh, uh colleague of hers uh who said in an interview that yeah of course she'll backtrack as soon as the election's over what are you stupid uh and then he and then they like sent him an, an email the next day being like what are you doing shut up and he's like oh yeah no 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 i mean we never talked about that i, I uh, <laughs> um yeah so <laughs> that's and that's sort of the 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 that's that's of course the the trouble as well too. I mean, the Donald Trump was the biggest gift to corporate America ever because they either got someone who didn't want to do the job if Donald Trump gets elected, which it's increasingly looking like that's not going to happen. But still, um, you know, someone who had no interest in in governing and was simply literally just going to be the have the his style of government would be, and he's basically said as much, which is here do whatever you want. I'm going to go play golf. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that would have been worse. But what it's allowed to do is all the corporatist uh, Democrats to just be like, okay, well now we're just it's just open season on. On whatever we want because nobody's going to vote for that monster so now there's no pressure on us to do anything um mm-hmm. and i think this uh, like either way the the americans and thereby unfortunately the rest of us especially here in canada but just you know considering as the world power i don't know i'm i'm feeling pretty uh pretty conflicted about <laughs> the next couple of years here i mean and you know not to be super depressing on the show i think there's a there's a number of really wonderful things happening uh, is it I've too been... late for burning <laughs> is there nothing that can be done it is well can we have him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I think he'll be I think he'll be very effective outside the stage. I mean, he's certainly not going anywhere, right? And yeah. and and what was really interesting is that he proved that there is a you can mount a serious campaign without selling out. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. and and, the one and really seen, pushed Hillary's team too, right? Yep. Like really pushed them further. To and the she left may backtrack well, on it, and, but but after backtracking, she'll get slaughtered by the people who have now been become very politically active because they were woken up to the fact that hey, actually we do have power. It isn't hopeless. We didn't mm-hmm. win this time but we proved it's possible um there's definitely blood in the water i'm just not sure whose it is (laughs) yeah and without the corruption with the dnc and all of that too and uh, who knows maybe if everything was done fairly he may actually have been the candidate who knows yeah, there's yeah, yeah certainly a lot of a lot of shady business there, but yeah. uh, no, I think uh, I, we we have definitely not heard the last of Bernie Sanders and um, and and the people that are still you know very much in support of him and did not go oh, okay fine Hillary Clinton next um, are are unlike in previous years and unlike in previous elections are going to maintain being politically active partially just because there's a lot of groups that have sprung up to, to that have recognized this and have organized around it mm-hmm. uh, and and reaching out and, and doing that other critical thing which we talk about on the show regularly which was reaching out to allies um, you know not taking five years to figure out oh white suburbanite middle upper class you know group should you know maybe you know 10 years later or whatever like we've seen with so many other movements uh, eventually reach out to other communities and are, are doing that right away and being like mm-hmm. you know, let's go ally with Black Lives Matter. Let's go talk to these folks. Let's go talk to these folks. We all have grievances. They all affect all of us. We need to present a unified front for political change. Uh, and 
you know, I've been saying that for years, so I'll just take credit. No, <laughs> um, no, it's I, I, I there's certainly things that make me feel really you know, gloom, gloomful. But uh, I, I, I also when I go and I hear what people, the response people are doing to this and the fact that people are aware of what's going on and and doing things to to uh, to respond to it and seem actually energized about the fact that they they actually believe that they can and it's not just the the end is nigh guys standing on the street corner anymore but that's young people getting up with a little bit of fire in their eyes thinking we can actually do this um that gives me hope and, and lets me get to sleep at night i don't know about you guys so that, mm-hmm. that's pretty much all the time we got about a minute left if anyone wants to do a quick shout out or anything or, or if you want to mention your your website guys uh now the yeah time. the the bureau of power and light dot com Check it out. We got some cool stuff on there, and we have some more cool projects in the works as well. And uh, uh, you'll be coming back to join us another time as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bethany, you will uh, as well. Is there any? Do you have any websites or anything you want to shout out to? I have nothing to push. No, <laughs> she's not selling anything. <laughs> That's how you know you can trust her. Power of love. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm afraid that is all the time we have. Uh, Bethany, you're going to stick around for a few minutes with me for the bonus show. We'll figure out what we're going to talk about. In thank a you for having us on. Thank you so much to everybody for uh, getting me through this week. And uh, mm-hmm. for all our listeners, thank you so much for listening and have a good green week, folks. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. That was it for the regular program. You're now listening to the bonus portion of the program. We got uh, actually just funnily, and this is sort of the only thing I'd say to our podcast audience, but during the first section of the show, when we were originally talking uh, uh, about the uh, uh, Elizabeth May Israel Palestine uh, issue, the phone lit up in the room. You can actually hear it on the show. Uh, always a hot topic. So uh, while I'm, I'm, I may regret saying this, uh, if you uh, have any calm, rational and non screamy thoughts on that, feel free to email me if you thought we got something wrong. I'm certainly interested in hearing about it. Uh, if your email, however, is over 500 words or in, involves any insults towards anyone, myself or anyone else, it will not be read. Otherwise, feel free to contact us if you have any thoughts about that issue or anything else on, on today's program. Without any other delay, however, please do enjoy our bonus show. We do come back to the Green Party issue. Stay away from the Israel thing, more or less, though, and just talk about the uh, a possible new leader for the Green Party, uh, as well as some more about Suncor. Please enjoy the bonus show. If you can be a member, you can do that at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. Sign up today. So we're now in the bonus show. Welcome to the uh, extended version of the show that you can only find on the podcast. I don't know why I'm saying that, because the only way you'd be hearing that is if you were listening to the podcast. So uh, it's just me here today. Uh, Stefan is, uh, is away, as you will know, if you listen to the, the main part of the show. Uh, and uh, however, I am uh, joined by Bethany, who's stuck around for a few minutes. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for doing that, because uh, nobody wants to listen to you talk for that amount of time straight. No problem. Uh, so uh, you're going to introduce uh, one of the stories we didn't get to quite. It's 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 tangential to some of the stuff we talked about, but we'll, you're going to do a bit of a deeper dive on a couple of the stories that we did. Uh, why don't we start off with mining and Suncor? Sure. Yeah, I just wanted to make a connection, uh, I suppose, between the seabed mining uh, that I introduced in the other segment and uh, this article by the Globe and Mail saying that Suncor is proposing to leave oil sands in the ground to cut greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and uh, basically, the article is just saying that Suncor has finally conceded that it's not profitable uh, in all cases to basically extract. So it is kind of vague in the article, but it says that uh, in cases where um, more resources need to be put in than would be gained, uh, they're going to leave the oil in the ground. So um, I guess the connection that I wanted to make there is that uh, clearly they've learned a lesson, whether or not they're uh, outwardly saying it, (laughs) about uh, sort of the perils of mass extraction. Um, And then 
I guess connecting that to uh, the seabed mining, not that I'm surprised by this, but uh, I'm a little upset that they uh, wouldn't take that same kind of teaching forward um, and, uh, I guess, propose perhaps a moratorium on uh, seabed mining um, based on the um, environmental destruction that we've seen uh, on basically extraction above sea. Mm. So, uh, there's a there's a few thoughts on that. One of them, I mean, you you mentioned you know proposing an idea. Of course, they they aren't you know, contrary to popular opinion. You could be forgiven for for thinking so, but you know, Suncor isn't actually uh, directly involved no, in no, government. No. But uh, I know what you meant by that, and uh, sort of, that was just sort of a joking aside. But the, <laughs> the 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 truth there is that they could they could put pressure in the same way they've been putting pressure to not you know do stuff about climate change. They could now put pressure on to sort of like okay, we're not going to do this because we don't think it's good, uh, and it's politically for them like or at least business politics wise beneficial for them and and it sort of reduces the argument against them from activist environmentalists mm-hmm. you would think that they would see that as an opportunity to try and get as much street cred as possible now maybe they're just banking that the the activists aren't going to get them any slack no matter what they do which i believe is wrong but i i also forgive them for feeling that way um but if i was them i would i would not just say hey we're not going to do this i would also say we're not going to do this and lie about the fact that their actual reason is because it's not profitable mm. say that it's based on a moral wake a reawakening right. <laughs> uh, and put pressure on on fellow companies not to do it either uh, would be that would be the political way to play this mm-hmm. um, and they're not above that sort of thing and they're very very good at it they've been doing it for generations so I, I sort of wonder if they just they they've made a calculation that that isn't worth the risk and that there, that there's probably more to lose from the bad blood in the in the business community than there is to gain from the activists. Uh, which I think they're wrong, but I understand why they feel that way. Um, and I might have been reading uh, between the lines there a little bit, too, because the, they are kind of explicitly saying it's to cut greenhouse gas emission intensity. So they are taking that environmental uh, line. Um, but if you read between the lines, it's because it's not going to be profitable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's 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 also not, you know, front page news. They're not outwardly mm-hmm. putting, you know, and this is they could do, you know, their press conferences where they do. And we do, a you know, a challenge to our, you know, our fellow, you know, industry to, you know, follow our lead and blah 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 and really try and make a a stink out of it which they're they're not doing yet and i still may hold out so that's sort of one thing um that's one thing but so they're they're doing it good and one of the conversations we've had on the show is how uh repeatedly is how uh activists sort of never accept a win or or frequently don't accept wins and they get something they want and they don't um they don't celebrate and part of that is because we don't want to uh, if I can you know, speak for everyone for a moment. Uh, part <laughs> of that can. is that we don't want to uh, uh, you know, be seen to give people the impression that they've now satisfied us and that they don't have to try anymore, um, which is tactically sound, but it also there's sort of that never you know, by never accepting a win, you're never satisfied. And so from a psychological point of view, as someone who cares about this issue, it's, it's probably beneficial to celebrate mm-hmm. uh, just for your own morale. Hey, we won. Uh, even if they're not going to admit it's because of us, you know, we did win and, and we should accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like a psychology, like as an activist, you're, you, you don't sound thrilled. You weren't sounding alarm bells. I mean, you're probably just, you know, it's your first time on the show and you're trying to maintain a professional <laughs> decorum, but, but how does that make you feel as someone that, you know, cares about this issue? Are you exuberant? Are you skeptical? Hmm. Are you a combination? What is your emotional reaction to that? Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting question. Um, I didn't have, uh, I suppose, a positive reaction or I didn't feel that it was a win because I understand, I suppose, the scope of the problem uh, and also the 
you know, the corporate interest behind that decision. Uh, but you're definitely right to say that it's important to celebrate those small victories. Um, if I'd read this in the news, maybe even even two years ago, um, it was a different economic climate, and that would have been kind of stunning news. So y- you're right, this is a small victory, um, which should be noted. And uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I also think it's tactically sound to, mm-hmm. you know, not act as if, okay, you know, we, we won, go home. Uh, which even if you don't feel that way, if you give the, you know, if you give the companies the signal that, 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 so I kind of, I understand the reluctance and I share the reluctance to sort of celebrate Suncor for this. Mm -hmm. Um, however, I think it is, it's as, as much as it fights my instinct and, and, and doesn't taste good. Uh, I think we should for tactically, um, give Suncor some credit here. It's also worth noting that, you know, not all oil companies are created the same and Suncor was one of the first, even if they then later canceled them and blah, blah, blah you know, relative to other companies in their industry, uh, they were one of the first, if not the first, um, to make massive investments in solar. Mm. Um, they have at least made some motions in the direction of, yeah, okay, we know there's some bad side effects to what we're doing. So we're going to, instead of not doing it because we can't, you know, our, our shareholders won't let us, uh, we're going to do this other stuff and please, pretty please don't hate us. Uh, right. So they, I mean, they're um, among those actors. They're not the worst. They're, they're sort of the Hillary Clinton next to the Donald Trump, right? <laughs> there's a lot of problems, but it's preferable to, you know, companies like Exxon, which just, you know, flat out lie, manufacture, you know, try and use uh, do- political donations to intimidate people that are going after them. I mean, there, there's all this dark money circling around them. I mean, that's the, that's the Darth Vader. That's the D- Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Suncor relative, eh, not great. Still a lot of problems, still doing a lot of terrible stuff. And, and, and I, th- I would prefer they didn't exist. Uh, next to that, I'd prefer they, they completely abandon all oil and gas drilling. But if we're just talking about oil companies, mm-hmm. a, a very small, maybe a golf, we'll give them a golf clap. <laughs> The, the three fingers on the palm gently. And it's politely. something. And yeah. I wonder if that kind of recognition as well uh, could help to kind of open up lines of communication. I mean, I don't know uh, at what level sort of high profile activists and um, say CEOs of Suncor have any communication, but at least if there was some better blood between them where we were um, instead of pretending that the actions that they're taking don't exist or will never satisfy us, um, if we could recognize the position that those decision makers are in um, and sort of, yeah, small golf applause <laughs> when a step is taken, then maybe that opens up like a more positive sort of uh, interaction going forward. Yes. A, a very stiff, uh, you know, Victorian nod of the head <laughs> approval. Uh, but I mean, this is actually a hot topic. We, we spent more than one show on that topic before about uh, a bunch of more sort of ground level grass uh, roots type uh, organizations and, you know, community organizations being absolutely furious about six months ago, uh, partially instigated by a uh, very politically motivated right wing, uh, you know, news outlet that was putting out stories of, you know, this secret collusion between environment groups in Canada and oil companies. The, the reality is, is that they were they were framing the the picture to be a little darker than it should have been. And it was it was, you know, politically motivated to sow discontent. Mm-hmm. However, uh, it I, I, we when we assess at the time, it is still my belief that there still is a legitimate uneasiness there of, you know, oil companies meeting with the big NGOs as if the big NGOs actually represent the movement and not just that they're organizations that have a voice rather than, you know, mm-hmm. we represent the collective intent of people who care about these issues because right. they don't. Uh, and nothing was demonstrated more clearly than that incident because mm-hmm. the absolute just wave of brush fire that happened afterwards. I mean, they lost supporters. There was all over the news. Mm-hmm. And and this story was successfully made about those big corrupt NGOs rather than 
uh, either the progress that could be had from that, uh, which is a legitimate conversation to have, even if you're skeptical, mm-hmm. uh, or the, you know, how bad the oil companies was. It was sort of, six, the, the burden was successfully shifted onto the ENGOs and, and mm-hmm. it was successfully, you know, made yeah. people fight amongst themselves. So I don't know, it's, it's a messy issue. It really For is. sure. Yeah, I guess the distinction isn't as clear as we sometimes would like to think it is. Um, often, I think, in terms of sort of capitalist slash activist, but there are uh, subgroups within that, of course, and uh, sometimes it's the case that a certain NGO has a profile, but that doesn't mean they're speaking for the whole um, left side or the whole movement or whatever you want to categorize that as. Yeah, well, I mean, th- there's, again, not to be overly reductionist, but there's roughly two camps of people, well, at least every, I think everyone can be put into this, even though this doesn't define your other opinions, uh, of that you think that, you know, large organizations that sort of go and want to their objective is to sit down at the table and talk these companies into submission. Uh, is the right way to go and people that think that that can only lead to the erosion of your ideals uh, and that they are simply the enemy and that they have to be fought you know, via proxy war to remove them from existence hostily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, again, hostily, I mean, in a political sense, not physically. <laughs> uh, but those are the people that got furious. They're like, well, your end game was to get at a table and bargain with these people. We think they're evil. Um, you know, what are you doing making a deal with the devil? Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm oversimplifying for the sake of time, but emotionally, that's sort of, that's sort of how that story went down. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'll be interested to see if anyone makes a big fuss out of this. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it may still be coming. Um, but certainly some of the larger ENGOs, to no surprise, are you know doing the doing the polite golf clap at a minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we leave it there? We're about 11 minutes in. Sorry, if you have a final comment, go ahead, and then we'll maybe we'll move back on to Elizabeth May. Um, just one final comment that made me laugh out loud that I wanted to tie back to was um, so the director of one of these deep-sea mining projects, uh, <laughs> he'd said, we've made a lot of mistakes mining on land. Now we have a chance to get it right in the ocean. And I really like that. Oh, man. <laughs> Blind optimism. All right, moving oh, on. Oh, man. That's so... Oh, it's so, so terrible. We have a chance to get it right in the ocean. The, that's the, that's the <sighs> face palmiest thing I've heard this <laughs> All right. Speaking of face bombing, <laughs> back, to, uh, uh, back to the Green Party just Lady for a May. little bit. So you had, you had leftover thoughts. Why don't you start us off on that? Uh, in terms of Elizabeth. Yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We're on a first name basis. Um, and so maybe actually at this point, I'll disclose what my connection to the show even is. Um, I'm an import from PEI. And so I was uh, working on the provincial Green Party campaign before I moved here. Um, so I've cut some ties. Um, but yeah, I suppose uh, just moving forward with the Green Party, it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes from this emergency meeting next week, uh, because as it is, there aren't exactly um, any front runners to replace her or even any outstanding uh, candidates with the national profile that it would require to uh, head the Green Party. So I'm interested maybe to hear your take on, uh, you know, what is probably happening inside the party now um, and yeah, what would be their path going forward? Yeah, as the as the outsider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, funnily enough, uh, Kevin Farmer, who uh, somebody I don't know if you know, but uh, uh, he certainly isn't a, a celebrity in the Green Party in it by any means, but uh, did run for the Green Party twice here in Toronto. Uh, uh, the uh, Carolyn Bennett being the riding in which he competed this most recent election. Uh, of course, he got slaughtered by her because she's very popular in her mm-hmm. riding, the the Liberal candidate there, and he was expecting that to happen, but. Uh, he was part of it as well, so he took a leave of absence from the show while he was doing that. Uh, and Kevin has actually expressed interest. I, I almost changed my mind and asked you not to cover that story today, uh, because Kevin, as a twice runner for the Green Party, uh, contacted me. He's now no longer in the show because he uh, he now has a, a job he can't 
take uh, Fridays off from. Um, but it's probably one of the smartest people I know. Um, and he, uh, he specifically contacted me saying that he would be interested in coming in and talking about that topic. So we, we, we will be coming back to this to hear from cool. another sort of insi- semi-insider. <laughs> uh, his, his argument was that he does believe, uh, just as a tease for this interview, which I'm sure will happen, I'm just not sure when, he does in fact believe that she should step down. And Ooh, he, okay. as someone who both loves her and supports her uh, personally, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not personal love, you know what I mean, uh, is both personally a fan of her as well as, as the Green Party. But his, uh, to, to not steal too much from his comments, mm-hmm. uh, he's felt that she has been detracting from the Green Party for quite some time, not because she's not effective, mm-hmm. uh, but because she, Elizabeth May is both, uh, you know, the double-edged sword that has been Elizabeth May is that she successfully made the Green Party about her, mm-hmm. which was beneficial because she's great and an excellent speaker and an excellent advocate for these issues. But that also had the problem of meaning that, you know, if it, without her, um, does the Green Party go all the way back to do, do they give up on the 10 years of progress they've had mm-hmm. uh, and have to start from square one? Uh, legitimate questions. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm really fascinated to see what will happen. We were even story. I had another story flagged last week that we didn't get to, but another one that we flagged, which was, uh, th- something that comes up repeatedly, which is either is the green party about to take the lead in front of the NDP as sort of the, the official outside opposition, as opposed to the official inside opposition, mm-hmm. um, which alternates every two months with a different story about should they merge? Um, mm-hmm. so maybe as a, maybe as a tie in this, cause we can only guess now what's going to happen next week. Uh, quickly, if you wouldn't mind giving your, uh, you've sort of, uh, uh, resisted so far giving a definitive opinion on that. If you, as definitive as opinion as you're willing <laughs> to get, uh, do you think that she should step down? Not because you don't think she should be leader, but just given the circumstances, do you think that she should and or will step down? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe we'll wrap up with uh, a, a thought from you about the, uh, the idea of, uh, the NDP and green party, either changing places, combining is, is there, is there a potential future for, uh, an allegiance there either officially or unofficially? Mm-hmm. Um, right on. So in terms of, uh, whether she will step down, I think she said, uh, pretty unequivocally that if the decision is not reversed, um, that she doesn't want to be, uh, the leader, uh, in those terms. So I do think that perhaps she will step down because it sounds like, um, that's what the party has voted for, at least, um, during the, the conference. So I don't know what those proceedings looked like and how much discussion was actually had, um, Hmm. In terms of a politician, she is, I mean, absolutely the face of the Green Party in Canada and probably one of the more popular uh, politicians in Canada. Uh, So I think it would be a huge loss to the party. But you're right to say that she takes a really personal approach to politics. Um, And so Elizabeth May really is almost synonymous with the Green Party, for better or for worse. Um, And as much as it would be um, maybe a bit of a step back for the party. It, she would still end up running in her constitu- constituency, uh, rather. So maybe it is time that the Green Party had a rebrand. It's hard to say. I mean, I love Elizabeth May, but uh, maybe they need a leader that's ready to take on some questions or sort of take hard stances on things like this. Yeah, and it's and it's difficult, and and I didn't have any pleasure, you know, making my uh, I hesitate to call it an accusation earlier, but mm-hmm. that's just my honest, cold uh, assessment of the facts. That I mean, she's basically saying that she would, she's basically saying that she would never have wanted to be leader because if she's not ready to confront those types of issues. Um, 
it, it seems clear to me that she never thought she'd actually have a chance to be prime minister um, mm. or she would have thought about her positions on those issues a little bit more or, or maybe not thought about them, but maybe been more prepared to defend them, uh, both within the Green Party and, you know, to the rest of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, br- being the prime minister means having to take a stance on some dirty issues. And sometimes, you know, you don't you never know how that issue is going to play out during the course of an election. Uh, but you have to at least be willing to, to take a stand on it. And um, and so I was I was a bit shocked, but I, but not shocked in the sense that I was disappointed in her and that mm-hmm. it was shocked in the sense of like, oh, that my immediate reaction had nothing to do with my disappointment with her. It was, oh, she never had any hmm. any thought about actually being leader. That's That was yeah. my initial reaction was she never thought she'd even have a chance of being leader. I suppose the devil's advocate in me wants to say uh, is refusing to take a stance also a stance, you know, like uh, are there some some topics that just uh, do not warrant um, national discussion. That's probably a really con- controversial idea, but I- I'm just wondering if if she knew what she was doing, um, she decided it wasn't worth her time based on whatever calculation. Um, is that itself a political stance, or was it, uh, yeah, her shying away from making a decision? Yeah, well, it seemed, and I could just be my read on it, but it seemed pretty clear to me that she wasn't saying I don't have an opinion on this issue. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, she she didn't say it, but she basically said it was I do have a str- opinion on this. I have a very strong opinion on this, and mm-hmm. I'm not willing to defend it politically. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to defend my personal opinion as on behalf of the Green Party. Yeah, which fine. I mean, fair enough. That's her decision. Um, but it, it does say a lot about sort of how she saw her role in Canadian politics. I think, mm-hmm. which was think- different than what some of us thought it was. Absolutely. So. And I think what she said, uh, sort of her quote about the outcome as well, was that she didn't think it represented the will of the party. Uh, so perhaps it is uh, a little bit more about the kind of specific politics behind that, and she just doesn't want to get into it. Yeah. Well, and, and another quick thing about that, I, th- I think we've said more or less, again, if you have something else to jump in, I think we've said more or less everything that could be said about that. The, mm-hmm. the last thought that I have as well is that we, we didn't mention the name Dimitri Lascaris yet. Uh, he was one of the people leading the charge on this vote, though. Um, and we've, inter- we've well, we, sorry, we didn't interview him. We, we uh, recorded a talk he gave. He was very connected to the Toronto 350 movement here in Canada. He was uh, connected to them trying to get help uh, U of T become a, an official university that divested from fossil fuels uh, it was it was henceforth unsuccessful uh, but Dimitri was very involved with that he's a uh, uh, an incredibly smart man very charismatic man good speaker as well uh, his name hasn't come up in any of the newspapers but just having met the guy uh, and considering the sort of point role he took on this thing that created this situation in the first place mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna make a prediction you know hear me now quote me later uh, he'll be in the running if not the next leader of the Green Party mm. yeah uh, I'd like to put forward another <laughs> very biased prediction, but uh, the leader of the PEI Green Party is uh, absolutely a qualified candidate. I don't know if he has any interest in stepping forward, but um, he's polling at like 25% uh, yeah. on the island and uh, absolutely is versed in all things, uh, both environmentally and uh, in terms of international relations and yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if that uh, popularly would necessarily translate nationally, but uh, would be a qualified candidate for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I, I'm not I'm not qualified I'm not qualified to make a distinction between the qualifications of of those two uh, of those two people. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as somebody who seems to be inkling that they you know they that they want to you know be personally singled out as 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 some sort of a, a person, Dimitri is certainly making those. Uh, those types of inferences and, and just mm-hmm. having met him he seems like somebody who's a fighter who kind of likes fighting like mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like yeah yeah I could see that <laughs> I could see that so w- 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 we shall see but I would be shocked if he's not at least if he doesn't at least stick his hand up right on all right so why don't we leave it there Bethany thank you so much for joining us today and we hope that we see you uh, again
Great. Thanks so much. Awesome. So thanks for listening to the bonus show, everybody. We'll be uh, back next week. Take care. Have a good week. End of summer. Woo. Woo. Get in a pool. Thank you.